Good morning. How are y'all this morning? So blessed to see you here today. And what a beautiful day it is outside. A little brisk, but even I can stand it today. It's nice. That sun is beautiful. Well, we're talking about one of those subjects that really make people a little uncomfortable. And so we're going to open up with prayer. We're going to start right off from the beginning in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to stand before these, your people. Thank you for your love and your word. Please make us willing to be willing to serve you and your people in powerful and loving ways. Help us to center our lives and our homes around your son, Jesus Christ, that we may become more and more like you every day. Help us to love and honor each other as you have loved and honored us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I'm sure many of you are sitting there wondering, because I have myself, how is pastor going to handle this one? The husbands are thinking, yeah, pastor, get these wives straight. Oh, I see it. And the wives out there saying, yes, ma'am, pastor, tell these husbands how to treat a good woman. And all the parents are saying, yes, 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 preach it, pastor. Tell these children what the scriptures say about obedience. Obey, obey, obey. Tell them, pastor. And then all the children, see, I saw them walking up in here with notebooks. Because they're going, they back there taking notes, trying to figure out what this is all about, just in case they can use it against their parents later. <laughs> See, they know a well-placed scripture can come in handy. But not to worry. The beauty of this scripture is there is something for everyone. And the funny thing is, when I started reading it, one of the things that popped to my mind when I read this text, it made me think about a popular song by Aretha Franklin. Now, do y'all know Aretha Franklin? Oh, yeah, yeah, most of y'all, yeah, yeah, I know that, I know her. Well, Aretha Louise Franklin was an African-American singer, songwriter, pianist, record producer, and civil rights activist, born right here in Tennessee, down in Memphis, Tennessee. And although she started out as a gospel music singer, she is currently referred to as the Queen of Soul. Now, we, she went to be with the Lord back in 2018, but she gave us so much while she was here. With sales over 75 million records, Franklin is one of the world's best-selling music artists in the world. Some of you might know her by name. And may not know her, you know, you'd say, well, I, I'm young, I don't know Aretha. But I bet you, dimes to donuts, you will know her music. 
I would stand and say that every man and woman just about up in here, maybe not the younger children, they're going to know a familiar song that came to my mind. Now, all of us have sung this at some time or another, I can almost tell you. So tell me if this is familiar to you. Because today's sermon is about R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what that means to me. Right? Y'all know that? Take care of T-C-B. In other words, take care of your business. Handle your business. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And so I want to talk about how we respect and honor our families today. Because all family members have an important role to play and great contributions to offer to the family's work and to help the family run smoothly. It's an important thing that we all do our part. The text today is a play on the Greco-Roman household codes. Now, during the time of Paul and Peter, the man of the house owned everything. I mean, they owned their wives, their children, their servants, the livestock, everything was owned by the man. And some of these guys are going, Lord, those was the good old days. <laughs> uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> See, everything within that man's household was chattel or property. Now, Greco-Roman society was ordered by the family units. This is how the entire society was ordered. This is the only way that Paul and Peter ever knew of because it was the way of their culture. Now, every man was thus expected to order his household so that society would run smoothly. Now, the man of the house was expected to rule his home with an iron fist if necessary, and keep his family in line. And often those families included not just little children, but grown children. Now this expectation often left men mistreating their families. Now, the men in Greco-Roman world took great care of themselves. Now, when I was in Israel, one of the things that I noticed was everywhere you turned, there was a place to take a bath. I mean, what is this with all these bathing places? What's up with this? Well, the men in Greco-Roman society were always bathing, grooming, taking care of themselves. I mean, taking self-care to a whole nother level. Unfortunately, they often mistreated their wives and others in their household by being abusive, dismissive, and discouraging. Maltreatment and benign neglect were often the life for the less powerful in Greco-Roman homes. Now Paul and Peter, in thinking about how Christian households should be ordered, they use this Greco-Roman model as what not to do. 
They were working to create a Christian household, uh, uh, some rules and codes that reflected the ways of Christ. Codes which maintain the egalitarian message of Jesus. And just as the message of the kingdom of God often does, these codes turn the Greco-Roman household codes topsy-turvy. Paul gives specific, practical instructions to those living as believers in the Greco-Roman culture. He tells them how to live out their faith in Christ in, in life-giving ways for everyone in the household, for the entire family. Now, let me say this. Let me just stop right here and say this. This scripture talks about traditional family of that time. But many of us today do not live in this particular type family, and some of us never grew up in this particular type family. So I want to make sure I say up front, I am not criticizing anyone's family environment. I am not saying one is greater than the other. But what I do know that regardless of our family makeup, the basic principles of this message still apply. Amen? In Paul's writings, he always addresses the least powerful person first. And that is what he does in this text. By addressing the women first, Paul places them on an equal footing with the men. Basically, acknowledging we are all the same in the eyes of God. Galatians 3 and 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. Now, God designed different but complementary roles for men and women. Much like salt and pepper, or peanut butter and jelly. I mean, these are two great things that go great together. And they are actually best when in complement to one another. See, each has its own function. Each operating in its own capacity. But when operating together, they complement each other, not one overpowering the other. Because if you've ever had a dish that was way too salty, you know right off the bat, that's a hard thing to eat. Or if you have something that has way too much pepper, unless you just really like hot stuff, it's a little difficult to eat. But when you put that thing together just right, mm, some good eating is going on, right? Well, this is the same way. We want our families and our lives to dwell in a harmonious state. Once we accept Christ, we are all children of God. 
Now, Rachel Held Evans, in her article, Household Codes, the Radical Christian Remix, does an excellent job of explaining the ingenious writing here. Now, I have to admit, I mean, a lot of times in seminary, they put Paul way down. I mean, you know, we talk about Paul real bad because, you know, he wasn't married. He, he didn't have all this. And so they're like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But, you know, by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, this, this is some ingenious writing here. Although it does not seem so now in this culture, the Christian household codes introduce some very radical ideas for the culture during Paul's time. I mean, really? Paul takes the Greco-Roman household code, spins them in such a way that it turns a code of subjugation into a code of mutual submission, mutual respect, and sacrificial love. And I just think that is beautiful. When Paul addresses the women, he's asking Christian women to willingly submit to their own husbands. Now, I want to make sure because there's been some confusion with these scriptures. He is not asking women to submit to all men. That is not what this scripture says. Nor to be subordinate to any men but to willingly allow their own husband to be the leader of their household. But Paul also adds a special twist, a radical thought for his time, actually. He turns to the men and he says, men, you in turn love your wife with the same sacrificial love that Christ has shown you. What? That was a radical thought in that day. I'm loving an object, a piece of property. What? What are you asking me to do, Paul? Paul is saying, love your wife as Christ loves the church, being willing to deny yourself to assure her comfort security, and care. See, Paul began with the closest and most intimate and important relationship and then begins to move outward in these scriptures. See, this scripture is a call for all members of the family and of the household of God to submit themselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ and to live as Christ modeled for us to live. See, Jesus submitted himself to the leading of God the Father, the heavenly parent. Jesus lived a submissive life. And as Christians, that is also our call. And since Christian homes and everyone in those homes belong to Christ, by accepting Christianity, we are saying Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. Jesus Christ is the head of our lives. 
the head of our homes. The scripture in no way is subordinating women, nor is it giving men or anyone else license to mistreat or abuse women and children. I want to make sure that is very, very clear because it has been used in some negative ways throughout our history. I want you to know there is no place for maltreatment or abuse of any form in the Christian home or any other home for that matter. Christ does not, does not in any way say to endure or inflict abuse upon anyone. And I'm going to say this, this is not necessarily in my sermon, but I think it's important. If you are in an abusive situation, if you are being mistreated and you need somebody, this is a safe place. You come and let us know so that we can get you the help that you need. Now, if a husband asks a wife to do something out of God's will for her and for her family, she has the biblical right and the biblical duty to reject the husband's request. We don't get out here doing illegal and wrong things, saying, well, that's what my husband told me to do, or that's what my wife insisted upon that I do. Our head is Christ, and we must answer to God because that is our ultimate authority. Amen? Amen. Thus, the wife serves for the sake of the Lord, not to avoid the wrath of her husband, because a godly husband should not treat his wife and children harshly in the first place. Despite some beliefs and teachings, wives are not called to be inferior underlings of their husbands. Remember, Jesus is an egalitarian. He is not, he did not see anyone as inferior to another. The call here is to wives to be cooperative helpers, caring compliments, partners to the man they have vowed to love and to cherish. That takes us all the way back to Genesis. Compliments, partners. And this includes demonstrating the same selfless, sacrificial love and concern shown by Christ for the church. Because husbands are likewise given spiritual obligations toward their wives. Some of you may ask, well, how did Christ love the church? Good, glad you asked. You see, Jesus left some huge shoes for men and all of us to feel. Jesus loved the church so much, he gave himself up for her. Yes, he sacrificed himself for the church. And even now, he never leaves or forsakes us. He sacrificed himself for the church, and he with us, he is with us even now until the end of the world. Jesus put our needs before his own. 
And still today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is always considering our good and working things together for our good and interceding on our behalf. Now that's love. Because Jesus served us. He gave God's message to us. He, that message of love, that message of salvation was brought to us. And Jesus continues to love us unconditionally. Despite our good, our bad, and our ugly, which we have some of all of it. Jesus loves us. And this is how we should love one another. Especially those in your family and those in the household of God. We must all remember Jesus is the highest authority, and he still humbled himself to be a servant. If you go to Philippians 2, you can read it. And in this same way, biblical leadership is servant leadership. Biblical love is unconditional, self-sacrificing. When a husband loves a wife in this way, hey, it's much easier for her to respect and honor him and submit. And when wives practice respectful submission, it is easier for husbands to practice loving leadership. Now, in the family unit, children, you also have a very important role to play. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. This is what is expected of you. Your behavior can either maintain the harmony in your home, or it can disrupt it. Uh-huh. When you have godly parents, who they are doing everything they can to make you all have all that you need and most of what you want. When they are bringing you up in the Lord and in your faith, see, you're expected to obey and to serve in your home. If your duty is to take out the trash, yeah, don't start looking down now. Y'all been taking notes this whole time. Look on up at me. If your duty is to take out the trash or do the dishes or make up your bed or clean your room or do your homework, whatever your duty is, do it without complaint. Just go on, get up, do what you're supposed to do because your mama and daddy got up and went to work, did what they had to do so you could have the things that you have. So don't disrupt their day by, oh, I have to go to this. I don't wanna. Come on. I know it. I know it. I've lived it. I've been it. <laughs> Let's do it with a willing spirit. Do this in service to the Lord. And in turn, it is in service to your family. Amen? I won't hear the little people. Amen? <laughs> Amen. 
See, the scripture is presuming you have godly parents who are bringing you up in this faith. They're teaching you the right and the wrong in the sight of God. So when you're of age, see, you can accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for your own life. And grown children, yep, it's also on you. You're expected to honor and obey your elderly parents. Ooh, sometimes that is hard, I know. I know it. But it is still our call. Honoring your parents is precursor to obeying and honoring God. So let's be sure that we show honor and care for those who have cared for us. Now, don't miss out on your blessing because being obedient is important. See, so important that there is a promise of long life for those who obey their parents. Now, this is the first commandment with a promise. Children, obey and honor your parents so things may be well with you and you may live long upon the earth. See, I heard this scripture and another one too. There's another one that says, obedience is better than sacrifice. I heard that all my life, so you can imagine I might have been a little bit um, difficult. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a strict Christian home, so my mother was the disciplinarian. So I always interpreted this scripture to mean Obey your mother, father, and all your elders so your mama won't kill you and make another one just like you. <laughs> now, that's scripture according to Jacqueline. You see, my mama did not play. Disrespect and disobedience was not tolerated. She'd say, oh, you think cow horns won't hook. Well, young lady, I can show you better than I can tell you and you can mark that down in your little black book. Things rhymed in my house a lot. It was always poetry rolling off her tongue. Oh, when she said that little black book piece, you better choose your next words carefully and your next steps carefully because a whooping was about to ensue. It was like the kingdom of God. It was close at her hand. <laughs> My brother always chose to run. And for you out there, wrong answer, wrong answer, because when parents have to run after you, they get even more mad. <laughs> Me, I quickly humbled myself and prayed for mercy. I figured if the, if the scriptures were true, I would have had some help. Now, don't get me wrong, I still got that whooping. But I also live to die another day. <laughs> so I always feel like God answered my prayer. My mother was stern and no nonsense, but she loved us and cared for us and everyone in our community who needed her. She was there for them. She was a powerful woman of God. You see, she had to be that disciplinary because my father was abused as a child. And he would always tell us that his father never knew when to stop, and he was afraid that he would not know when to stop. That was a man of great wisdom. So 
I never, ever, my daddy never raised his hand to us, and he seldom raised his voice. He was a kind, gentle, compassionate, and loving daddy. He was always full of words of wisdom, words of encouragement. I mean, he would walk that extra mile with you. And if you were going to get a whooping, he would stand with you for a while. And, you know, every once in a while, he and my grandmother would take a whooping for you. He was so humble and kind. You wanted to make him happy. You wanted to make him proud. So doing what he asked, what he expected, was easy. Because he was such a good model of Christ in our home. He fully earned our love, and he fully earned our respect. My dad had a way of making us feel like we could do anything with the help of God. He encouraged us and every person he met. See, he was just this beautiful example of what a godly father should be, and I believe modeled the father that Colossians 3 describes. And Paul wrote this to teach the Colossian believers to create Christ-centered families, living a life filled with the Spirit and with the Word, thus creating a home and life filled with joy and thankfulness and submissive living. So wife and husband and children, the entire family unit should all submit to the Lordship of Christ and be committed to serving God and others. That is considered fitting to God. Believers ought to demonstrate compassion, humility, patience, and forgiveness. Above all, followers of Christ should show love. Now, allow me to leave you with this one thought. I'm going to end. Does your life bear witness to you being a person filled with the Spirit and the Word? Would those persons in your home bear witness to the same? Do you have that same servant heart that Christ has shown to you?